Check one, two. Hey, hey, hey. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for another episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. This episode, my guest is Jeff Reed, who is Senior Vice President of Product at Cisco. I interviewed him a while back at the RSA Security Conference, and we discussed what Cisco is up to these days, including their recent acquisition of Duo Security, also Cisco's work in cloud security and zero trust and a lot of other cyber-related stuff. Enjoy. RSA 2019, it's Vince here again, and I'm now joined by Jeff Reed. Jeff is Senior VP of Product for Cisco Security Business. Thanks for uh, talking with me, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Vince. So uh, what are some of the things that are going on with uh, Cisco right now? Lots, as usual. Uh, I think a big one, you're probably familiar, we acquired Duo Security in the fall. Right. So it's so really seen great success with that and really just excited about the team, the technology. Wendy Nather. Yes, great, absolutely. Great person. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know her personally. Sharp lady. But I've seen her speak. Exactly. And I follow her on Twitter and she seems like a very sharp yeah. lady. I think you, you, you got a good one there. No, we got. I think we got more than we got. Lots of good ones with with Duo. What's been like one of the the advantages of acquiring Duo? Yeah, I think if you look at Duo and, and kind of compare to what we where we were from a portfolio perspective before, we didn't have you know identity capabilities set really within the within our products, and and Duo brings that. And, and the great thing about Duo, like everyone knows that MFA is is valuable. You know. Somewhere between seventy to eighty percent of breaches have compromised credentials. MFA is probably the like most effective way to reduce compromised credentials, but it's always been viewed as a real pain in the butt by the end user. You know, so I've got to carry this freaking token around. I lose it. You know, et cetera. And so, what Duo where they started is how do we make MFA something that users actually don't like. I don't think they want to do it, but like they don't revolt. They really, it's so easy. It's so simple. It is simple. It just becomes kind of part of how they normally operate. I mean, in some ways it becomes easier than actually signing on with your password. So, so they, they've done such a great job of that, uh, that in, and, and you started there and then added onto that, the ability to look at posture of the device as well. And, and again, and as they did that, they're basically incorporating the end user and improving the security hygiene of a company. You know, if your iOS device has needs an upgrade or Chrome has a known issue, you know, Duo can flag that end user and, and based on the policy that the security team sets can decide, will we allow you access or will we require that you go and upgrade this? And here's the link to go upgrade Chrome before we'll provide you access to this application, this data set, et cetera. So I think there's this, like they started at this kind of core of how do we like make MFA awesome? And, and with that really improve the broader kind of security hygiene of the, of the endpoint environment in your, in your organization. 
And then on top of that, then they've added this ability to start really kind of going down the, really what they've kind of built is a productization of the BeyondCart model. So if I, if I trust the user through MFA, if I trust the device, I'm checking on the posture, I can now start, you know, potentially allowing access to applications in, in, you know, even outside of the corporate perimeter. So, you know, we've talked to, I've talked to a number of customers. They want to enable their sales team to get access to SFDC and Workday when they're on the road without being on VPN. The dual model allows you to start enabling that. So kind of becoming a, this cool thing, how do I use identity and posture such that I can start making, be a business enabler, but still have the degree of security, visibility, control, that it's not a risk for the organization. The next step, though, and kind of what's been going on with Cisco is is now we can take that, you know, the identity capability set that Duo has and start tying it into the rest of the portfolio. So you want VPN access, probably makes sense to have MFA just as an easy add-on to that. Um, Duo understands, has visibility in terms of authentication authentications and authorizations and those types of requests. We have really good endpoint data for AMP for endpoint or any connect client. Can we start bringing those together from a user analytics perspective? So I think that the exciting piece is, you know, Duo on its own has a terrific, you know, solution roadmap, but it it also, I think, really complements a lot of the other capabilities we have across the portfolio. And And I think it's another sign of, Five years ago, we were essentially a network security company. So much of what we've been investing in, both inorganically through acquisitions and actually organically through our own development, is you know, much more presence on the endpoint and kind of the user security side. And then also, you know, a lot of effort and, and improvement with respect to cloud and cloud security. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I do think of Cisco as a router company, a networking company. <laughs> we and sell a, a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. and a, a network security company. But now all of that infrastructure is moving to the cloud. What are what are your, your, your cloud solutions? So the way I think about it is the core of what we're trying to help from a security angle is the way that users and things access applications and data is changing. Users and things are becoming more distributed, roaming, et cetera. Applications and data are moving to the cloud in SaaS, et cetera. And so there's a basically a number of, of kind of investments we've been making in terms of helping customers on that journey. Because bottom line is like the type of security controls and where those controls live are going to move. And we need to be ahead of the game. So it started with our with Cisco Umbrella. So the, I, I don't know if you're wait. Are you talking about an actual product? An called actual product, C- Cisco umbrella? umbrella, not not an umbrella of products. Correct. A product that called is umbrella. called umbrella. But think about that. It's kind of shielding you yeah. from the you know the the internet and the stuff that's out there. So that was it started with our Open DNS acquisition. Um, and and the great thing about Cisco Umbrella, it's really about protecting user to service traffic. So it does started you know Open DNS started as a DNS resolver. Mm-hmm. Turns out when you start doing lots of those, you get a pretty good feel of where the good things are and the bad things are on the internet. So start putting some security policy as part of that. Like what what domain should you be allowed to go to versus not? That's really kind of how DNS started or Umbrella started. And the, 
I, I like to think of umbrellas as kind of like the pound for pound best fighter in the portfolio. And I think probably just kind of industry wide, it could it's it's one of the the number of tools that could look at that mantle because um, it's so easy to deploy, but also just really really effective. Does it find everything? No. But there's, I don't think there's anything that is as easy. I mean, Cisco, I, our own internal IT, we basically, you point your DNS to Umbrella, took us about 30 minutes to do so, and you're off and running, and you get great protection. Like a lot of our customers see like a 50% reduction in IPS events the day after they've implemented Umbrella. Um, so really good stuff. And, and the other, the nice thing about Umbrella, with it also comes a very robust cloud platforms. We have over 40 data centers worldwide because we're doing, you know, DNS queries and we've got to be super fast. So we've got really good scale, do 170 billion or so a day. And that platform now becomes a place for us to start deploying additional security services. And if you kind of think through that, like the, the next step, so, so that's really about, you know, look more and more traffic's going to the internet. How do I protect that? I think the next thing that we're starting to see is the actual traffic patterns are changing. So SD-WAN's a big influencer here. Like it used I'm to sorry, be- sorry, what was that? SD-WAN, Software Defined Wide Area Network. Oh, okay, got it. Because what's happening is it used to be that all my traffic, you know, was, I would backhaul that all. I had, you know, it'd go out through my DMZ where I'd have my firewall, I'd have my, you know, web gateway, et cetera. Like, and, and not a lot of traffic necessarily was going out and I didn't have that many egress points. So it was pretty simple from a security standpoint. We had a few kind of doors we needed to protect. Fast forward to SD-WAN and, and part of the allure of SD-WAN is I can start enabling, instead of having to backhaul all that traffic from these branches, if I know they're going to Office 365 or you know AWS, should I? Why do I want to like have the cost and the potentially user experience degradation of backhauling all that traffic and then going out through my egress points? Can I just, can I enable direct internet access from those branch locations themselves? So this is what the networking teams want to do. The big question though is like, okay. When that's happening, I know that traffic is no longer transiting the security infrastructure I had in place before. So how do I enable what the corporation wants to do, save a bunch of money on their telco bills, et cetera, but still have the security controls in place? And and so this is, we've been in, in look, we're leading SD-WAN vendor. You know, we have, you know, market leader by far in, in routing. So kind of where the SD-WAN is being deployed on the network side. And so we're doing a number of things and really it comes down to look, you as a customer have kind of three choices. I can put a dedicated security appliance in that branch. Some customers, there's enough traffic and they want the full degree of visibility, et cetera, they'll do that. But most customers I talk to would prefer not to. They'll have tens, hundreds, some of them thousands of branches. It's a lot of infrastructure to, to put out there that's costly, et cetera. So we've been in parallel providing two new options for customers. So one is take that network security stack, but put it in the, the router itself. So, and the great thing here, the idea that we're really trying to drive to is we have world-class security controls. Our you know, Snort IPS, backed by Talos, advanced malware protection, all the URL filtering, et cetera. 
we're taking and those engines have kind of historically lived in a next gen firewall or IPS, et cetera. Taking those those exact same security controls, but allowing you to deploy them wherever you want to within your environment. That makes sense given your traffic patterns. So in a lot of cases, that'll be in the the router itself. So we've done that with Meraki MX, and we just recently this fall announced doing that for our ISR and ASR platforms. So that's kind of option one. The second is is taking, taking those same types of controls and putting them in the cloud. And so Umbrella started with DNS security, but we're adding cloud-delivered firewall and a full secure web gateway there as well. And so you as a customer now have a choice. I can do a dedicated appliance. I could run the security stack on the router, or I could take that traffic and, and do the security in the cloud with Umbrella. So kind of wherever you need the security capability set, we want to enable that for you. Um, and so that's, you know, we're, we're, this transition is just, is still in the early innings. You know, SD-WAN isn't broadly deployed yet, uh, but I've seen numbers where roughly 50% of customers will make their SD-WAN decision in 2019. So it's coming. So part of this is like, hey, we want to help the security teams to be ready for it as part of that process um, and allow them to, again, like be an enabler of the business, but still maintain the, the visibility and control that we need to do our jobs as well. So that's, so that's on the, so it's kind of the next extension of, you know, as the, the traffic pattern between the user and service changes, how do we do that? And then I think the, the next piece on this cloud transition is how we're, how are we securing the data and the applications that used to live on-prem in your classic data center that are now going to the cloud? And so we've made a number of investments there as well. So on the SaaS side, it's our CASB solution, CloudLock. And really, we're integrating that between Umbrella and CloudLock's really coming together. So you kind of think of a gateway via Umbrella with the CASB controls from CloudLock. And then we have another set of capabilities for your IaaS, PaaS, serverless environments. We've made two kind of initial bets there. First one was a capability we call StealthWatch Cloud. And the cool thing about Stealth, so we have a StealthWatch Enterprise. It was is basically think of this as a network traffic analytics capability set. So we look at traffic patterns, we create a behavioral baseline, and then we look for indicators of compromise in that in that in that traffic. And this can be exfiltrations. We've had a number of customers where we deploy it. Tell them later, you know, we're going through the, the analytics. We're like, we didn't know you guys had a location in Africa. Like, we don't have a location in Africa. Well, every evening we're seeing this traffic pat, you know, flow out to this location here. So you see that. You see, um, so exfiltration is really good at finding. It's really good at finding, like, the lateral movement, kind of the low and slow stuff. So that's StealthWatch Enterprise. StealthWatch Cloud, take that same con- – and, and, and the way – actually, rewind a second – the way that StealthWatch Enterprise gets that data is they take the basically the metadata of the network traffic. So flexible NetFlow, like, you know, source destination, you know, the protocol, port number, all that stuff kind of comes in and it kind of builds this view of who's talking to what and kind of what the, tra- what the, the communication patterns are. StealthWatch Cloud, you take that same concept, but have it like be born in AWS. So instead of, well, it can, it can actually take flexible NetFlow, but 
It also takes in VPC flow logs and CloudTrail logs and their equivalents on Azure and GCP. And so it kind of builds this view of your cloud environment based on the communication, the logs, the access patterns of that. Looks for indicators of compromise, looks for changes in behavior. You know, Vince is, well, this is, this is more application changes in behavior. You know, this service has never talked to this other service. It seems, you know, suspicious. Mm-hmm. And so we, we raise those alerts to the security team. And the, and the one really kind of nice piece of data on this is for every alert, when, it's, when the security team closes the, the alert, we ask them quickly to say, was this a valuable alert or a not valuable alert? Last quarter, we got 93% of the alerts were rated as valuable. That's actually the worst performance that we've had in four quarters. So we've really tried to optimize for a good signal-to-noise ratio in this tool. Um, and it's, it's growing like gangbusters for us. So that's, that's one of the initial things on this kind of application security side. And the other is a, a product called Tetration. How do you spell that? <laughs> T-E-T-R-A. T-I-O-N. So kind of think of titration. Can I just call it Tetris? Not quite. No? No, we'll get mad at you. Um, Say it again? Tetration. Tetration. Okay. It sounds cool. I think I saw them open uh, for (laughs) Slayer at the Warfield in like 96. They 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 were great. They do rock. Yeah. They do rock. Um, So... The Tetration is funny. It came out of actually our networking team. When we introduced our application, basically our SD, application-centric infrastructure, which is our SDN solution for data center networking, we did a whitelist model. Sounds great. Everyone loves whitelists. The question is, is like, they didn't know what the whitelist. Like most of our customers actually don't know what the whitelist policy should be because they didn't know what talks to what in the data center. And this is getting down to like, you know, service level calls and things like that. So we built Tetration. It basically does fine grain application dependency mapping. From there, I can take it and I can create, I know, okay, this is what the, the pattern is. Then let me determine what I want that policy to be for should this actually be what traffic I'm enabling and then move into enforcement. So you can do, it's really, you think of micro segmentation for data center environments is, is what Tetration does. So consider the control path. It uses the network to enforce, or it can use an agent on the host OS to enforce. So the cool thing about it is it can run on prem in your kind of classic data center, but it's also very applicable to the cloud. And we have a SaaS version of it that you can you can spin up in in minutes and kind of get going. So, so those are kind of the I think I'm I'm excited about this space. It gets back to like the initial comment that you had, like the move to cloud is going to change how sec- we need to change security in parallel as we're you know moving more applications and data to the cloud. And, and so I think look I'd say. Southwatch Cloud and Tetration are a good start for us. I don't think it's sufficient. You know, customers need more than just those two types of controls as they make this migration. But I do kind of think that the the future looks pretty the future for cloud security I think looks pretty different than what we've seen kind of classically on prem. Okay. Um moving along with some of your products, um last year 
uh, Cisco came out with threat response, and it's been uh, implemented for about a year now. How's how's that been going? It's been going really well, actually, frankly, better than I expected. You know, First of all, before we get into that, what is threat response? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, so threat response, I think a threat response is essentially almost a query engine for your Cisco security products. I can take any IOC, so IP address, domain name, SHA, so file hash. I basically put it in a threat response. And it looks and it basically says, like, have we seen, do you have any sightings of these IOCs in the environment? We'll create a relational graph of if we have seen them, like what host did they, have we seen them at? Are there other IP address or unknown files that we see associated with those hosts? Because the key thing from our response thing is really about the unknowns. Like, if we knew it was bad, we probably blocked it. The key is... There's also the unknown unknowns. Yeah. And then the known unknown unknowns. And I'm trying to think of that Donald Rumsfeld. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. Anyway, continue. I, I would have not expected Donald Rumsfeld to be part of our discussion, but... I don't know if I should surprise. be surprised. Thank you <laughs> for that painful memory. Um, yeah, so, so I think the interesting thing here is, is it's really this tool for the responder, instant response team to kind of understand what might be impacting the environment and quickly speed up that investigation. We also, we enrich all the data. So we have a lot of data ourselves. Uh, we talked about Umbrella. 170 billion DNS queries a day. So we have an investigate API that we have really good knowledge about domains. And so we'll enrich any domains that you're investigating with the umbrella investigate information. Files will enrich with our sandbox data. So as we detonate files, we get a ton of data on their behaviors. So that'll be part of it. And all this kind of comes in a single tool. And that's, we'd never had that before at Cisco. Like we, We've done a lot of work to integrate our products from an intelligence perspective. We kind of call it on the back end. Got good, get good DNS intelligence. We have the Talos Threat Research Team. Like our products are fed with all these different sorts of data. But on the operator side, we've never brought the tools together. You know, so you have a kind of a single place to look at them and 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 kind of have a consolidated view of the threat landscape with with across the Cisco products. So that's really what threat response is. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, yes. Cool. Yes. And and it's and it's so far it's been pretty successful. It's been pretty successful, yeah. So we have over thirty five hundred customers that are using it. Um, oh, one thing I should have mentioned, it's free. So oh. you know, what we the the goal of threat response is we want to give customers more value when they've invested in Cisco security. So we want to make it, you know, and this is a, I think a great way, you know, the more, the more Cisco products you use, the more valuable threat response becomes. It started with just endpoint data. So it was just our amp for endpoint. We added umbrella. Uh, now we've got uh, firewall data and email data also is part of the tool chain. So we're starting to get broader and broader. So, you know, if you have multiple Cisco products across this, you can get, again, single place where I can get the threat visibility across all of them kind of at your fingertips. Okay. So I'm curious, um, 
about your products in, in general. Um, it seems like in the last few years, there's been a, a shift of, of a major, uh, major firms moving towards open source, like mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard, Microsoft. They're starting to release open source project, pro, excuse me, open source products. Um, what about Cisco? Is Cisco embracing open source as well? Yeah, we've got a couple of our core areas that we do a lot of that. So Snort is a great example. Snort? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love these so, names. <laughs> it's got a, it's a pig. I hope, I, I, okay, I ho- I'm glad it's a pig reference. I hope it's not something. No, that, like, no white it, powder. Yeah, no, yeah. nothing that helped in, fuel the engineers as they were uh, <laughs> uh, constructing it. Then the slave ships, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so... So, uh, so a couple of good examples are, are Snorts, um, so our IPS engine um, really kind of started as open source project uh, back in the day. Uh, yeah, I guess ImmuNet is the core of a lot of our AMP work as well. It's not, I guess, exactly open source, but it's we make it freely available. Um, so, you know, you as a personal user can use ImmuNet. So basically a great EDR functionality from that tool um, is, a, is a piece of, of what we do as well. So there's components of our, of our kind of platform and it really just kind of, again, around the threat pieces that we want to embrace, you know, the more people that use it, try it, the better the results are going to be. It's valuable to the folks in the kind of broader industry and, and helps our products as well. So, so that's kind of been, I'd say that's kind of the core of where we're focusing on the open source side. One thing that I haven't heard a lot of buzz on, but I, I've I've been noticing it more just in general is the idea of zero trust. Yep. Tell me about the concept of zero trust and what uh, Cisco has been doing around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. And this was actually last year. I think zero trust was kind of. I'd say last year was kind of the coming out. Party oh, of ours oh, I'm so, be- I'm so, I'm so behind the times. So 2018, my bad. No, no. Get me but up to speed though. Yeah. yeah. So you know, the, the concept of zero trust. So Kate, you know, Forrester coined the term, um, and really this idea around like we shouldn't trust any resource. We shouldn't trust the network. We shouldn't trust the users. So it's this idea around, and really, you know, we've seen it in a number of incidents where. You kind of pierce the corporate perimeter, and you know you can get access to anything you want. So, so this idea of like how do we how do we get to much more like you know kind of segmented and kind of continually verified access policy within an environment, and and so the, and there's kind of different flavors of zero trust. Like so, Beyond Corp from Google is a good example of this model. You know where they had a significant breach again lots of once once the the folks were able to get inside they were able to you know kind of move around the environment and so you know the 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 kind of beyond court model is this idea around i need to trust the user i need to trust the device and i kind of need to trust the resource and if those three things happen i'll allow access um, and so they're all kind of on this, you know, it's all kind of a similar vein of, of how do I, how do I again, you know, kind of have this continued kind of trust verification and have it at a much more fine grain level than I've ever done before. And so you see, and it's interesting is, is so for us, Duo is a great step forward. Um, cause you know, as I said, they've, they've actually productized, they call it 
Duo Beyond, a version of the Beyond Corp uh, model using MFA for user, using posture for device trust, and then have a couple capabilities, an access gateway for access to SaaS applications, and a network gateway, which is essentially a reverse proxy for actually exposing internal applications out to the internet. And so it kind of comes to this idea around, I could allow a user using Duo and MFA access even to internal applications I expose without forcing them onto a VPN. I think there's kind of a couple different models though that I'm seeing, because there's kind of zero trust for the workforce. And that's kind of what we just talked about with Duo. I think the model is gonna be different though for like IoT devices. They can't click on the MFA. They can't click on their smartphone to say, you know, I am, I am a Rockwell PLC. So, so like on the machine to machine, I think you're going to, you're going to see more capabilities really built around network segment and micro segmentation. It's kind of the, the route to do some of those. It's kind of enable zero trust in those environments. So it's, you know, a lot of it on Cisco on the, like the IoT world, it's a lot of what we've been doing in enterprise networking. So we call it software-defined access. You know, how do we how do we create segments within the network? So if you're at a hospital and you've converged your network that has guest Wi-Fi and heart, and, you know, pumps and nurse call stations all on a single network, how do I create segmentation so that? the heart pumps only talk to like the server they need to communicate with to and nothing can else can talk to them and they can't talk to anything else. And so it's kind of that piece. And then on the data center side, really that comes down to the micro segmentation. So Tetration is a great example of kind of zero trust for workloads. How do I get in? And frankly, and you can imagine that we just taking it even further, like not only can this service only talk to this other service, but these are the rest calls that are enabled between the two services and only these are enabled. So it's kind of, I think the way at least I view it is just zero trust. It's a really, it's a, I think a really important concept. It's pretty broad though. And, and how we implement it based on the type of resources involved is going to require different types of technologies. And but I think like we're at Cisco are pretty well, with Duo, pick with the Duo acquisition, I think we're in all the work we've been doing on the networking side, we have pretty good capabilities kind of regardless of you know what flavor of zero trust or what types of resources you want to protect in that in that paradigm. So um, I saw that you came out with a survey, a Cisco benchmark survey. We did. What was that all about and what did it do? Yeah. Uh, so what, been, was, what were your findings with that? Yeah, so we've been doing this for years. So we surveyed over 3,200 security professionals and we asked them a series of questions. You know, how, importance of AI and ML, how many security tools they're using, what's the relationship like with the networking side of the house, et cetera. And, and we've kind of looked for changes in, in those responses that kind of indicate kind of things that we think are going on in the industry. And so looking kind of at this year, I think one of the, the things that stood out most to me was we actually saw a pretty significant reduction in the number of security tools that are in, being used by customers. And I think it's this whole, like we've been talking about this for years around the complexity issues, there's kind of this tool proliferation. And you know, we even talked about Cisco. There's at some point adding tools, the, the cost of complexity starts to outweigh the benefit you get from each incremental tool. 
And and I think we're starting to see this. And I've even seen this when I'm talking to customers. Like there there's a I think an appreciation for you know going down the absolute best of breed range for everything may not make sense. In fact, I had a customer talk about their best of platform is their model moving forward. So they want to have a relatively small number of kind of key security partners. So I think it's, it's, it's something that I think we're early, like it's, we've kind of been talking about this for years, but this is the first time kind of quantitatively we've seen a, a real difference in that. Cool. All right. So I want to have a few final questions that are more um, generic, I guess. No problem. That I've been asking a lot of people. Okay, sure. Well, first of all, um, I'd like to learn a little bit about your background. How did you get into the cybersecurity industry? Yeah. So I was a... I was a failed dot-com, dot-com 1.0, I'm old, uh, entrepreneur, came into Veritas, uh, so file systems and volume managers, and then Symantec acquired us. So I was at Symantec for five-ish years, came over to Cisco, actually joined on the networking side, uh, but then a couple years ago, came back over into security. So, and the good news is, I think on the, even within Cisco, like a lot of what we're doing in networking was really about how do we deliver a better security outcome. I'll talk you know, about like software-defined access and segmentation and enabling the, the data from networking to go into security analytics. That was like part of what I've been doing for my entire tenure at Cisco. So it was a pretty natural transition. Okay. Predictions. <laughs> what? Do you, okay. What do you predict the security and privacy ecosystem will look like in five years, and how will it be different from where it is today? <sighs> That's a tough one. I don't think it'll be that different, frankly. Um, at least in the, I have kind of the lens from a product and technology world. Um, I do. To our earlier discussion, I do think that you're. There is a pressure on kind of better integration of products, kind of reducing number of tools. So I think that's going to continue to play a part. And you've seen, like, I think we're starting to see, you know, Cisco and some of our larger competitors take more of a kind of a platform architecture, integrated architecture play. So I think you're going to see see more of that happen. Um, I actually hate the AI word. I think what we do is ML. Um, but I think that's going to continue to be really critical, you know. It, you, and you even look at you know some of the stuff like you know, Chronicle, Google Chronicle announced like, like the Tensor Flow processing stuff. Like the the scale and power of that is pretty amazing. Even I mean, even compared to GPUs, it's like like orders of magnitude. So I think you know, our ability to kind of ingest and do those types of things is going to be uh, increasingly important and, and interesting. All right. What's your biggest pet peeve with the cybersecurity industry? We all talk about AI. It's not really AI. Okay. What's one thing you love about the cybersecurity industry? What what makes you happy about it? I think everyone says this, but uh, we actually help. Like we do good. Uh, I think that even different from my other technology jobs, you know, networking is great, but you don't get the same, I think, kind of societal, and there's a societal benefit, but really we're actually helping people protect themselves. And that's, that's actually, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I think it's great. I talk uh, to my kids about it. It's pretty fun. Um, and finally, when do you predict the robots will take over? <laughs> uh, 2052. Hmm, that far away. 
Um, I was pretty off the cuff, so I haven't, I haven't done my research recently. Yeah. Well, it's different than what other people said. Some people said never. Never. Well, I don't know if it's going to be never. I think, I mean. I have a hard time with never. I mean, it depends yeah. on what we say takeover. I mean, are we talking Skynet I'm talking, or I'm t- like. Yeah, like Robot, oh, apoc- like robot, oh, robot apoc- apocalypse. apocalypse. So that's just, oh, okay, that's farther out. Um, I, I for one, will fully embrace our robot overlords. overlords. <laughs> so I'm cool with it. Hope they're nice people. Yeah. So I'm not going to say never because they're going to come back and they're <laughs> going to go back through the archives exactly. and find out. They'll, they've who, already who doubted it, it probably. Yeah. Exactly. Who doubted us? Who doubted uh, yeah, us? Yeah. Who's on record? You. Yeah. If you're listening, I love robots. Okay. Remember Pornos for Pyros? Yeah. The song, We'll Make Great we'll pets. pets. Yeah. I think make we'll make pretty pets. great pets. Really? I think we'll be terrible pets. I'm... Robots, if you're listening, I will. I will. I will. Vince give you will all, I think Vince will make a great pet, though. Yeah, yeah. I will do anything you want. I'm, your wish is my <laughs> command. I'll wag my. I don't have a tail, but I'll wag whatever you want me to wag. Perfect. Jeff, thank you so much my for pleasure. talking with me. If someone who's listening is interested to learn more about the products that that we talked about or Cisco in general, where where can they go to find more information? Google Cisco Security. Cisco Security. And if people want to stalk you on the internet. Do you have a Twitter handle? Yeah, Jeff Reed 415. Okay. And do you just do you, do you talk I, about security-related stuff? Security stuff, yeah. Cool. I, you'll find but, uh, security stuff that I think is interesting. I'll post. And it was Jeff, Jeff Reed, R-E-E-D, 415, area code. Cool. Right on. Thanks, Jeff. I right, appreciate thanks, it. Vince. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. You can find more information on this episode and past episodes on my bloggity blog. It's vinceinthebay.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all other podcasting platforms. And hit me up on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash vinceinthebay. Until next time, ciao.